1: I'm Zacharias and you're listening to Eat for the Planet. On this show, we try to answer the question, how can we eat in a way that nourishes us without starving the planet? The show features conversations with food industry leaders, health and sustainability experts, as well as entrepreneurs and creative minds who are redefining the future of food. I speak to a lot of authorities in the food space on this show, from entrepreneurs to investors, All of my guests share the common goal of wanting to fix our current broken food system, mainly by creating and supporting the growth of plant-based foods. My guest today, Michelle Simon, is certainly one of these people. Michelle is the executive director of the Plant-Based Foods Association. She has a background as a public health lawyer, and there are few people who understand the nuances of the challenges and opportunities in the plant-based food space better than she does. Michelle is on the front lines, fighting important battles on behalf of the plant-based food industry. And I could think of no one better to be on the show on a recurring basis to discuss issues and developments impacting companies and consumers in the space. From policy updates and news to market challenges and trends, these conversations are geared to help anyone who is currently involved in the plant-based food industry, all looking to learn more about how they can make an impact and help the industry grow. Our conversation today centers around policy issues, which tend to often get ignored in favor of all the positive news around new product releases and investments in the plant-based food world. But as you'll learn in this conversation, without the right policy conditions, both consumer interest and market growth of the industry stand a very real chance of being hindered. We discuss recent efforts by the meat and dairy industry to keep plant-based products from being labeled as milk or beef. We also get into the upcoming Farm Bill and what are the most pressing issues for the plant-based food space. Most important of all, Michelle talks about how we can all get involved to help strike down harmful food legislation and actively support the growth and expansion of the plant-based food industry. Beyond just buying and eating the food, of course. I hope you find this conversation interesting and extremely informative. Michelle, Simon, thank you so much for joining us once again on the Eat for the Planet podcast.
0: My pleasure. Thanks for having me back.
1: You know, Michelle, so I often talk to people about the um, three dominoes that need to fall if we want to have any hope of uh, truly disrupting industrial animal agriculture and turning our food system into one that is more just and sustainable. Um, and the three dominoes as such that I talk about are firstly, uh, consumer food choices, Consumers need to demand less meat, dairy and eggs and demand more plant based products. That's number one. Secondly, um, on the supply side, food manufacturers need to produce better um, and more um, plant based products at at a price point that is um, convenient for consumers. Uh, So that's the supply side solution. And lastly, we need uh, government policies. Whether it is subsidies that keep the prices of meat, dairy, and eggs artificially low, or checkoff programs or labeling restrictions, they need to change so that we can level the marketplace and um, uh, create a more level playing field for all participants. Now, traditionally, I've taken the view that you know if the demand and the supply side dominoes fall, the the policy one will follow automatically because food manufacturers will demand that policies um, reflect what consumers actually want to eat. But I've increasingly come to understand that it isn't that simple and these things don't happen on their own and you need um, advocacy, you need uh, lobbying and you need to kind of push the policy button a bit uh, to bring about change. Um, And that's why... Because if you don't do that, you end up with a problem where the existing policies actually become a hindrance to both the consumer growth as well as the supply side growth uh, in the plant-based food industry. So here's why I think you know policy is important. It's often overlooked and considered to be dry and boring, but I think it is crucial and I'm hoping today we can spend some time um, diving a little deeper into some areas of policy that are pressing, where, and find out ways in which people can get involved. So, um, since I think you're the you're the foremost authority on that, I think uh, this should make for an interesting conversation. So, let's start off at the um, at one of the issues that most people may be aware of, whether they're in the industry or a casual bystander that's um, interested in plant based products. Is the labelling issue that seems to be getting a lot of press and attention lately, uh, both with the Dairy Pride Act as well as what's happening around um, beef and meat labelling? So, why don't we start off with where does where do things stand with the Dairy Pride Act and the the labelling issue when it comes to milk?
0: Sure. Um, well, you know, first of all, just on your introduction, I I really appreciate the way you laid it out and. One way I like to think about the importance of policy, just to put some further context around the specific issues, is that it's policy really sets up the rules of the road, right? So, sure, consumers can demand all they want, and companies can, you know, supply all they want, but unless the the playing field is such that, you know, it, it, that the conditions are conducive to good business practices, then um, then those supply and demand um, aspects aren't going to be facilitated in a way that is the most effective and can't even be hindered. So, and labeling is a good example of that situation. So, you know, the labeling rules as they currently stand were set up um, many decades ago really without um, the thought of what's happening now, which is that there would be so much innovation and so much consumer demand for alternatives to meat and dairy products. So, you know, the FDA has definitions around um, milk and other uh, dairy products that can be a hindrance to uh, member companies who are making alternatives to cow's milk. And so, you know, in that context, the um, the dairy lobby has been trying to put forth a bill they call the Dairy Pride Act, which would not allow soy milk and almond milk to be called soy milk and almond milk, a rather ridiculous position. And the good news is, you know, mostly thanks to PBFA's existence and lobbying over the past year, we've been able to stop that bill from moving forward. You know, the reactions that we've gotten with our representatives that we meet with have all been positive in the sense that they take our side of the argument and understand that this is simply an anti-competitive attempt by the milk lobby that, you know, is scared of the competition and really has no um, place in Congress. And so the bill itself isn't, isn't moving forward. However, uh, you know, these powerful lobbies don't stop at the usual procedural ways that bills are supposed to move through Congress. So mm-hmm. what we're now um, looking out for and we have is other measures that uh, larger bills that the industry could attach the measure to. And so um, at the moment, that would be the fine bill, a large one of the largest pieces of legislation, certainly related to food and agriculture, um, that is, is currently being considered in the House and we'll see the Senate version fairly soon. Good news there is that the House uh, version does not contain any language similar to what was in the Dairy Pride bill, nor have we seen any amendments to um, the House Farm Bill related to that. So that's that's good. Um, so legislatively, we seem to be, um, you know, in, in a good place. And we're continuing our internal work at PBFA to talk to FDA about this issue and, um, you know, do what we need to do to make sure that these companies are able to communicate clearly um, with the consumer.
1: Yeah, I was recently reading about how the FDA FDA said that they were looking into the issue. Is that something that's um, a formal inquiry? Um, Mm -hmm. Are you involved in, in discussions directly with them regarding it?
0: Yeah, so I think what you are referring to is the FDA commissioner was recently questioned by Senator Tammy Baldwin, Mm -hmm. Senator from Wisconsin, who was actually the original author of the Dairy Pride Act in the Senate. And, um, you know, it was kind of an amusing exchange where the Senator was really pressing the FDA Commissioner, Scott Gottlieb, about this issue as if, you know, this is the most important issue she could possibly be talking to him about, you know, almond milk and soy milk. And, and, you know, he had to answer her in a way that, of course, was respectful and Mm -hmm. said that he was looking into it. But he also indicated what I could see as uh, some discomfort with the matter by way of saying, well, you know, these products have been on the market for a long time, and FDA really hasn't stepped into it. I mean, he's essentially saying, look, we have a situation now where consumers are used to seeing words like soy milk and almond milk on the market. And for FDA to take action now would not only make no sense, um, could actually potentially result in legal action, would absolutely result in legal action, because we would lead it. um, And the FDA may not be able to withstand a legal challenge. He even mentioned having spoken to lawyers. So, you know, reading between the lines, he's well aware that there's, um, you know, no solid ground for FDA to stand on when it comes to actually intervening in the current marketplace situation, and that we read as very good news. Um, You know, of course, we are continuing to to make sure that that's the case. And he did mention, you know, looking at data. So we're going to make sure that um, any data that FDA is looking at um, is what we know, which is that there's certainly no consumer confusion here, that the marketplace is working just fine. Uh, So, you know, we're not really concerned about that.
1: Yeah, so I guess it's safe to say that uh, the, the Dairy Pride Act issue isn't completely put to rest at the moment, but it seems like for now it has lost some, moment, some momentum uh, in the past few months.
0: Yeah, and it really didn't have any momentum to speak of, <laughs> to begin with, other than what the Milk Lobby likes to make up. You know, they're very good at coming out with press releases, but, mm-hmm. you know, a, a very different story when you actually go see what's going on in Congress than what the Milk Lobby um, is touting. So, yes, we, we, you know, that said, they also don't don't give up. Um, yeah. So we have to continue to be very valid- vigilant and, you know, um, make sure that that this stays at bay.
1: Yeah, I think they tried recently to claim that the Congressional Spending Bill had uh, language regarding the Dairy Pride Act, and they said that's sort of a win, but it turns out that doesn't mean much.
0: Right. I mean, that was that was crazy. You know, I get contacted by a reporter because the Milk Lobby put out a, a victory press release <laughs> about some language in this omnibus spending bill and it turned out to be what's called report language mm-hmm. that was passed last summer not even that it was anything recent it was something we already knew happened but it got rolled up into um a larger measure but it had no force of law and so then i had to spend time explaining to reporters <laughs>
1: yeah. you know
0: that this was really uh, no victory at all this was just a mock lobby grandstanding but you know that's what they're good at
1: yeah and that's kind of what they they exist to do so uh, I guess they're trying to do their job <laughs> so uh, uh yeah, I can I can look at that and um you know I, you can say it's ridiculous but at the end of the day um the the proof is in the results. And I think so far they've not achieved much. Um, Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, that's not where the labeling issue ends. And there's been unsurprisingly um, some of that coming about in the beef industry as well. So the U S cattlemen's association had a petition before the USDA regarding labeling of beef and meat. And then the national cattlemen's beef association got involved claiming that's not uh, strong enough. Um, Where is all this currently? And, um, what are your thoughts on where that's going to, how this story is going to
0: play out? Yeah. So the U.S. Cattlemen Association is a, is a very small offshoot um, group of cattlemen that don't appear to understand the difference between USDA and FDA. So they filed a petition with USDA, uh, essentially asking that agency to define meat and beef in a way that would exclude the ability of, of plant-based meat companies to use those terms. Um, forgetting this minor detail being that the USDA has zero jurisdiction legally over plant-based food companies Mm -hmm. because what do they regulate? They regulate meat. Uh, So, you know, that's our reaction to that, that um, it's rather absurd to ask an agency that has no jurisdiction over this product category to do anything. Um, And so the response from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, which is, the um, very strong and much larger voice of the beef industry, their response essentially was to what I was what I just said, that yeah. USDA doesn't have jurisdiction here. Um, instead, of course, they want FDA to act, and the FDA does have jurisdiction over labeling of these products. But as we've been talking about, in the context of the dairy alternatives, FDA has indicated no interest whatsoever in stepping into how dairy alternatives are labeled so you know why would they get involved when it comes to meat alternatives? Because the issues there are similar and even um, you know less confusing if, you will, yeah. if at all. I mean, a product like tofu, no one's confusing that with you know a, T- a Tyson sausage. <laughs> so you know, it's it's you know it's really just silly. Um, mm-hmm. But again, it demonstrates you know the positive view of all of this. Of course, is that look when players in the meat and dairy industry start making noise that's when you know you're winning right so you know first they ignore you then they then they laugh at you then they fight you so now we're in the fighting stage and that means we're three stages in to winning <laughs>
1: yeah. no yeah and the next step is you win so um right <laughs> i think it's um you know a question i have there is that given some of the companies like tyson and Cargill. Uh, seem to have a stake. Uh, I don't know to what level they have a stake in. Uh, no pun intended, or probably yeah. pun intended <laughs> in the yeah. in the so called uh, plant. You know, I don't want to call it fake. We don't uh, the plant based mm-hmm. meat or the cult, cell culture, the clean meat industry. Right, they've got investment in some of those companies. Um, how, shouldn't they have a tremendous uh, influence over where the um, lobbying focus is, um, or is this coming from um, farmers? I mean, how does I mean I don't know enough, I guess, mm-hmm. about how that industry is shaped uh, to understand right. why you know they don't seem to be talking to each other.
0: Yeah, well, this is uh, something I learned also about how the the milk and dairy industries break down. So there definitely is a distinction between. Um, what are producers uh, in the sense of, you know, dairy farmers or, or cattle ranchers, right? The, mm-hmm. um, those people who are actually on the farm, on the ranch with the animals or at least in some way or another um, producing the, the meat or dairy products. And then the processors, um, you know, the folks that bottle the milk and sell it to the consumer, the, you know, the Tysons of the world. I mean, not Tyson isn't growing animals on a farm, right? They're yeah. taking meat and then putting it into a factory and chopping it up and, um, you know, selling it to consumers in various, under various brands that they've bought up over the years. So, so yeah, so there is an important distinction and, you know, um, to be fair, I, I have a lot more sympathy actually for the, um, the producers, you know, they often get um, squeezed mm-hmm. by the large processors, and it's there's no question. Actually, in the dairy industry, there's on um, well, in the meat industry too. I mean, there's just a lot of economic hardship. But particularly right now in the dairy industry, we hear stories all the time about dairy farmers that are going out of business, and it is heartbreaking. Um, the the issue, of course, is that those economic problems are often caused by those further up the chain. So. Uh, they're certainly not being caused by any of our members making almond milk or meat alternatives. So, um, so to answer your question about what does it look like to have Tyson or Cargill interested in this industry sector? Well, I mean they see it obviously as a business opportunity, and so you know they need to diversify their portfolio. They've seen the handwriting on the wall. They know that millennials are looking for healthy alternatives. That consumers in general um, are looking to to improve how they eat, and so they can't keep going down the same road of, of more meat, more meat. They, they need to, um, you know, have a diverse investment, and so, you know, that's fine. You know, we don't care what the reason is. If it helps If it helps a company like Beyond Meat to have Tyson be a partner, I'm all for it, mm-hmm. you know. It doesn't negate what the, the fact that they're also still selling a lot of meat and perhaps selling more overseas and engaging in a lot of destructive practices, but, you know, that's... Um, the realities of our economic system is that there is a lot of intermingling of different sectors.
1: Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's so useful to understand that at the end of the day, it's the, you know, the farmers that are getting squeezed, they don't get to make these decisions. They don't get to, um, they don't have that much control. They're sort of at the mercy of uh, the big processors. And, uh, you know, from their perspective, they're kind of uh, looking ahead and, and sort of see um, the horizon and they kind of see that this way of um, living that they have may be under threat and if they don't do something. So I totally understand where it's coming from. Um, I just think that, you know, that there needs to be a more concerted effort um, overall in the industry to kind of try to shift some of them to other um, mm-hmm. other things they can do with the land that they have or, or their capabilities. So I think that's a much broader discussion, but it it is, I'm glad that, you know, it's important to recognize and um, acknowledge that that is a very real problem that uh, dairy farmers and cattle ranchers are facing and that, um, you know, something sort of needs to be done. I don't think the labeling issue is the way to solve it, obviously, but um, it is is kind of a sign that things are shifting and uh, we need to take care of some of the stakeholders that Appear to be left behind as part of the shift because it's always the smaller guys that suffer the most. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. Tyson's and Cargills will be okay; they'll make sure they mm-hmm. they put their money elsewhere. So um, that's just the way our you know our farming system runs, unfortunately. And um, so, you know, I, I wanted to get a sense of what the plant-based food industry is doing to um, sort of get ahead of this issue. In addition to mm-hmm. um, you know, obviously, reacting to some of these. Um, Proposals and petitions and bills that have come about around labeling. Is there any effort to develop some sort of voluntary standards to avoid any consumer confusion?
0: Yes, there are. Um, so that is one of the main functions that we had in mind when PBFA was formed—that the industry would come together and um, you know figure out amongst ourselves themselves uh, how these products should be labeled, recognizing that, not that consumers are confused or that there's any real inherent problem with how current products are currently labeled, but recognizing that FDA, um, that that there aren't clear rules of the road because there's just so much innovation that often, often happens, industry is moving faster than regulations can keep up. And so that is resulting in a lot of inconsistency in how products are labeled and, and that is causing some consternation that we want to address. And so so last year PBFA formed a standards committee with eight of our member company representatives across each of the subsectors. So milk and cheese and meat alternatives are each represented on this committee. And the group took up milk as the first category to address and it, it's taken Um, about a year's time to get to a point where we are now in that process of having a close to final version of the standard. And, you know, it will be voluntary, which means companies can choose to follow it or not, but we've gotten a lot of great input from our members and others in the industry, recognizing that this will only work if it works for the companies um, that we want to follow it. And so, you know, it's been a a really good process to, to get that feedback, to shape the the standard in a way that will work for the companies, have it be flexible enough to allow for different approaches, but be clear enough that we have some um, consistency to the approach so that FDA hopefully will be happy with the outcome and obviously certainly um, to show why we don't need uh, the milk lobby to tell us what to do or an act of Congress, for that matter. And so um, that process is, is nearing, completion and we hope to have that available in in another month or so and then the work doesn't stop there because that's just the milk category Mm -hmm. um we also have of course the other dairy alternatives like cheese and yogurt to to look at but now with meat alternatives um you know coming into play we may look at that next we've yet to decide um you know what to prioritize next given what's going on but we'll know that pretty soon as well
1: Great. And the easiest way, I guess, companies who are members of PBFA can obviously have a say in this. So is this committee going to then share their, um, their work and others get to chime in? How does the process work? And so if someone is mm-hmm. in the industry, wants to get involved, if they aren't already members um, or if they are members, even what's the best way to do that?
0: Yeah. Well, no, we were very transparent in how we went about this. We contacted all of our members in, in the milk category to make sure that they knew exactly what we were doing and got their input. And we even reached out to some folks outside of our membership to make sure that, you know, we were um, engaging with, mm-hmm. with as many members of the industry as possible. So, so um, you know, anyone can <laughs> contact me anytime if um, they have questions about what we're doing and what it looks like and you know, it, it is very important that that the industry be engaged, and like I said, we've we have gone through several iterations um, based on industry feedback that we've received. So, and we've also done some surveying. Of uh, we've done a consumer survey to help guide certain phrases that we're suggesting be used on the packaging, because we know, especially if, you know, FDA likes to see that kind of research behind what we're proposing Mm -hmm. as this voluntary standard so um so we've done that as well
1: that's great and in terms of uh, consumers who may you know now understand the issue a little better uh who want to support this the the plant-based food industry how can is there any way they can help or be involved or contact a congressman a woman Mm -hmm.
0: yeah well you know uh, of course getting involved with pbfa is is a great way to, to get involved we um for businesses, of course, we have our our company membership. We also have affiliate members, both individuals and businesses. We also have an investor membership. Mm-hmm. And then in addition to our core lobbying activities, we have an affiliate 501c3 organization. We call the PBFA Research and Education Fund. And through that entity, uh, we actually do outreach to retailers and other forms of education. So, um, you know, we're always happy to take, donations to that cause um and then you know i would say to support the companies of course that are members buy Mm -hmm. their foods that's a great way to support the industry and um, wherever you are to get to know your member of congress they all have local offices you don't have to you know fly to washington dc if you're not near there um to get involved politically you can seek out your um your representative's office locally where you are meet with a representative, a staffer there, talk to them about these issues that are impacting the foods that you love, especially if you're in a geographic area where one of these companies might be located. I mean, if you know, or a member of Congress is located, like Tammy Baldwin. If you live in Wisconsin, you should definitely go talk <laughs> to her staff and tell them what you think about that ridiculous bill. So, you know, there's really no shortage of ways to get involved. Plugging into groups like ours, others that are you know really promoting plant-based foods, especially in the policy arena, are is just so important to to be on top of what's going on and then be ready to to jump in when we need you.
1: Yeah, I love that advice. I mean, I think yeah, eating the food is definitely the best way to support uh, this industry. But there's so much more you can do beyond that. And I think uh, you know, I think there needs to be a lot more attention towards how we can use uh, grassroots activism to encourage people to 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 be have a voice in the in the policy side of things when it comes to the growth of this industry. So um, I do want to spend some time talking about what's happening with the farm bill overall and. Um, Kind of. What are the other issues involved? Um, we don't have to get. I know there's so much we could we could spend hours just talking about that. But um, you know how what work is being done to uh, sort of level the playing field when it comes to the plant-based food industry and our you know what we're up against with subsidies and checkoff programs um, sure. that support meat, dairy, and eggs. Um, can you maybe for someone who doesn't understand why that is a challenge? Um, you know, how would you kind of break it down into simple terms, and then uh, mm-hmm. what's what's currently really happening in that space too?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, yes, the farm bill is a big hairy piece of legislation, but um, in a nutshell, it it guides um, much of our agricultural policy, and agricultural policy, of course, guides what gets planted. That leads to the foods we eat, and so our current um, policies favor the commodity crops, most of which don't go to feed humans at all. They go to feed animals. So think corn and soy, You know, almost all of which goes to feed animals, and strictly soy. Almost all soy goes to feed animals. It's quite crazy when you think about how wonderful <laughs> soy food is for human consumption nutritionally, and yet almost all soy goes to feed animals. Corn, it's a bit of a mix. Some of it goes uh, for ethanol, but a lot of corn also goes to animal feed. So, you know what's left on the wayside are the foods that people need more of, which unfortunately are called specialty crops because they have their own special little corner of the farm bill where they get a little tiny bit of money. and those are the foods like fresh produce, nuts and seeds and and other beans. And so that's you know what we talk about is how we need to level the playing field to reduce all of this um, government spending for these crops to go to feed animals. As opposed to food for humans, and um, you know, it seems like a no-brainer. And yet, we have large interests, of course, that uh, work every um, four years the farm bill comes around to maintain the status quo. And that's, of course, what's exactly what's happening right now with our uh, Republican um, House. And uh, you know, the, 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 some sliver of good news is that there is, you know, the the right far right wing of the Republican Party actually does not like um, aspects of the Farm Bill that, you know, give a lot of subsidies over to to big ag. So, you know, but right now the fight is mostly around what used to be called food stamps is now called SNAP, Mm -hmm. which is also, it's actually the biggest part of the Farm Bill, most people don't realize, that food stamps makes up by far the biggest chunk of money in the Farm Bill. And there's, of course, lots of fights over that right now with the Republicans gunning to cut the program and Democrats saying, "No way are we going to support a fine bill that hurts poor people, so you know that 's um where a lot of the the anxiety is, and so we 'll have to see if Republicans can overcome the opposition but what PBFA is focused on right now is uh is an amendment to the fine bill. There's lots of amendments being offered right now, and one of them we support, which is to reform the checkoff program, which you mentioned, and checkoff is technically not part of the Farm Bill, but it's certainly an agriculture policy, which is why an amendment is being offered to reform the checkoff programs, which most people don't know what that word means, but most people do know uh, ad campaigns that Mm -hmm. are funded by checkoff programs. So like the Got Milk ads, Beef It's What's for Dinner, Pork The Other White Meat, those are all multi-million dollar ad campaigns, very effective because we all know those phrases, funded by federally mandated Mm -hmm. checkoff programs. And so, um, you know, what PBFA is saying is that's not fair because, you know, Tofurky doesn't have a checkoff program, right? Follow Your Heart doesn't get to benefit from anything like that. And so, you know, it's one of the many ways that the meat and dairy industries have an unfair advantage in the marketplace. And, of course, there's been abuses, and that's been a large part of the problem is that these monies don't just even get used for marketing. They often get blurred into lobbying. They've been used Mm -hmm. to disparage other companies, and so this amendment um, put up by two members in the House, including Earl Blumenauer um, from Oregon, has language in it that would essentially make for more accountability of the checkout programs to try and guard against these kinds of abuses. So we obviously are in support of that. We'd like to see it go further, but it's a start to help rein in some of the, the worst aspects of, of these programs.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a small step in the, in the right direction because uh, I, the checkoff programs is one of those things that when I first learned about shocked me even more than the subsidies for commodity crops. And mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, you, you, you're you right, you may not know what those programs are, but you've definitely seen the ads. Uh, and to to realize that that's, uh, you know, taxpayer money that's going around and then coming back and being spent on people uh, to buy more stuff um, that is, you know, eggs or, or dairy or meat. Um, it's is kind of concerning. So um, I think the other, you know, bigger issue, and I don't know how much progress has been made uh, around this one, is the fact that, you know, when it comes to plant-based products, or at least plant-based meats and plant-based proteins, we are still largely reliant on... Um, soy, wheat, and uh, pea protein as our sources. And that's partly because we don't have too many um, uh, government grants or policies to support research in this area. Is there anything actively been done for that? Uh, Because I think this is one of those areas that is concerning because a lot of these new startups are talking about um, developing, you know, researching new proteins. But if there is no government support for that and there's, you know, not enough growers out there uh, focused on those crops, um, we really unlikely to have products that are at a reasonable price point anytime soon uh, using other protein sources. Uh, Any thoughts on that?
0: Right. Yeah. So that is um, also part of PBFA's Farm Bill agenda. We have a number of items in there, including supporting specialty crops broadly, but specifically um, putting research dollars towards, you know, potential Either new ingredients or just looking at the ingredients that we know about and how they can be utilized towards uh, as inputs to meat and dairy alternatives. So, you know, a lot of research money that comes out of USDA goes to how to create better meat. Believe it or not, there are entire, you know, academic institutions with government money on, you know, meat innovation. Like those two words have actually been tied together, which I can't quite wrap my head around. Meat innovation, but there it is. Um and so what we're saying is well let's put some money behind, you know, plant protein innovation so that we can give uh consumers really good tasting and healthy alternatives to to meat sources of protein, remembering that protein's not a food, it's a it's a nutrient and there's lots of other um, ingredients that go around that particular nutrient and of course the healthiest forms of protein are from plants not from animal sources so um so yeah so is definitely something that, that we are asking for it's you know um and it doesn't have to just be in the farm bill it is something that uh we'd like to see happen more broadly
1: all right yeah i think that's um you know one of those things i've talked to a few people from within the industry to who are uh, doing this research, and it seems like it's, it's um, you know, we can talk about innovation a lot, but um, if you don't, kind of going back to your first point, if you don't create some sort of a policy environment that's conducive to that, you are going to hinder innovation. You're going to hinder growth. You're going to hinder the growth, uh, sort of the, the the pace at which this industry is currently moving forward. So, you know, I wish more people get involved. Um, obviously, within the industry, you have um, you know, a reason to do that. But even people who are, you know, supporters of uh, plant-based foods, who, who love the food, who are fans of the companies involved here, uh, and most importantly, people who are concerned about um, injustices in uh, our current food system and are concerned with uh, the impact on the environment or the abuse on animals, I think you should be equally enraged by some of these policies that exist today that create a system that makes it almost um, impossible for change to come about. So, You know, anything else people, you think people can do to immediately get involved? Um, You know, any closing thoughts on that? Mm
0: -hmm. Um, Yeah, I mean, I would just say that there's, the good news is there, there is still a very active and passionate food movement going on to try and better these policies, obviously not just p b f a but other groups that work whether they call it meat reduction or environmental protection or animal welfare, you know there's really no shortage of groups that are trying to um you know fight for a better food system and so you know whatever angle kind of floats your boat <laughs> mm-hmm. or whatever organization might be near and dear to your heart or near and dear to your neighborhood um if even if it's your where your kid eats his or her school lunch, right? I mean, often that's how parents get involved because they are horrified at what's being served at school. Well, that's a great place to start. Try and improve the school food in your neighborhood. I mean there's just so many ways now to get involved locally, at the state level, regionally, or nationally, and even international groups if you want to solve world hunger. So um, there's just no excuse, really. Is what I'm trying to say. To not get involved. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so find what gets you excited, learn more about it, plug in, and you know support the good work that we're all trying to do to make it easier for you to eat better.
1: Right, and you know hopefully you know uh, thanks to the work that that you're doing and others on the policy side uh, sitting and analyzing the farm bill in itself, uh, I think people <laughs> deserve uh, an award for that <laughs> because it's uh, I've tried and I can get through it, so and I went to law yeah. school so <laughs> Right. <laughs> um, you know I think it's uh, I appreciate all the work and uh, this has been a fun conversation I can't I mean fun yet enraged it's kind of it, it, it angers me and also gets me very excited about how yeah. much work that can be done uh, mm-hmm. that isn't being done um, so you know I'm, I'm excited to have you back on um, soon perhaps mm-hmm. to dive a little bit deeper into some of the the market challenges that companies are facing and and what's being done around that, but uh, we'll um, we'll keep up to date on the on the policy stuff, and we'll. Uh, I look forward to having you back on very soon.
0: Sounds good, Neil. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed the conversation.
1: Thank you, Michelle. You've been listening to Eat for the Planet with Neil Zacharias.